Welcome to Bible study, everybody. We're glad you're here. It's good to see you tonight. Yay. And good to be back rolling with Bible study. So looking forward to hearing what God has to say and uh, spend some time with him tonight. So we're going to start time in prayer. Heavenly Father, thanks for the opportunity to meet and thank you, God, for your presence here. Uh, we recognize that you're here, we're here, and I pray that you'd have your way in our midst. Pray that you would speak to us. We ask that you would lead us and guide us. We pray that you open your word to us. Ask that God, we would have an open heart and open mind to receive all that you have. God challenge us. I pray that we'd be open to that challenge and ready to be challenged, uh, change and growth and new life. God, we pray for those things. We ask that you'd be glorified through this time. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus 26. Uh, if you need a Bible, you can find them on the tables. Uh, feel free to grab one to use while you're here. If you need a Bible, you can also take one with you. We obtain Bibles to give away. Now, as you're going to Leviticus 26, just a quick reminder, we have an interactive feature for Bible study through a website at www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. So www.speakpipe.com slash Monday Night Bible Study. You'll find a button that you can toggle there. And leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And it is, uh, you can even edit your voicemail before you send it. It could be a question, comment. It could be just a hello. It could be something good that God is saying, something good that God is doing in your life. You might just want to let us know where you're from. And uh, we are more than interested and, and excited to learn about the people that listen to our podcast. And so we'd love to hear from you. If you would like to contact us through that means. Leviticus 26, I need a volunteer to read verses 6, 7, and 8 of Leviticus 26. Thanks for reading that. Uh, God is speaking uh, to the positive side of obedience here. Now, a lot of times when you think of Leviticus, what do you think of? What's that? The law, right. And so the law, by its very nature, uh, the idea behind the law was that it created a fence around people. And that fence was a marker, was a barrier, where uh, as people were... Uh, when you come up to it, you know how far you could go. And if you cross the barrier, then you're out of bounds. That's the nature of the law. It's a fence. And so your limitation is from without. And you exist inside the fence, and that's just the nature of what it is. And so most of the time when the law is described, uh, the idea is that they give you what God would say or, or what the writers would say is that uh, if you cross the line, bad things happen, and that's just how it's described, and that's the way that uh, we learn to understand it. So if you break it, this is what happens in your life. Now, not, not much has changed. I mean, if you're speeding and you get pulled over by a policeman, what is the nature of the conversation? Is Okay, you have broken the law. And so I'm going to issue you a ticket. And then that ticket is passed on to a court. And you must respond to that ticket whether you're guilty or not guilty. And as you go through the procedure, it comes down to it. The judge will make a decision. And a particular punishment will be doled out, whether it be in the form of a fine or points on your license or both or your insurance goes up or however it works. And so the idea behind that is, is that that law 
keeps you from going over a certain speed. That's the fence that's around you. So you can't go over that speed. And if you cross that barrier, then there's a consequence that you face, a negative consequence that will hopefully deter you from doing that in the future. That's the idea behind it. Now, the passage we're reading tonight, though, is telling you what the benefits are of obeying. So in other words, it's not talking about, all right, well, if you cross the barrier and you break the law, these are the consequences. It's telling you, well, if you choose to obey, if you choose to find yourself within what God has for you, if you choose to find yourself within what God is saying for your life, if you choose to find yourself within his leading and his guiding for your life, and that's the way I want you to think about what we're talking about tonight, if you choose to dwell there, then there are certain benefits of dwelling there. And so we're looking at the positive side of obedience. We're looking at the positive side of finding yourself in God's will. The positive side of finding yourself in his purpose or his plan for your life. The positive side of hearing what he says and doing it. The positive side really of, of dwelling in his will. So, so that's the way I want you to think about it. As you go down through these passages uh, in Leviticus 26, there's a given the first given that we have in this passage is that you'll have a plentiful, rich harvest. That was the given. That if you are a people who obey, if they were a people who were going to obey, then God would give them rich harvests and, and be plentiful. And so that, that was not even something that was a major consideration in this. That was the given. That they understood that. They understood that that would be a benefit of hearing God doing what he says. And, and you see that with Jesus. Now, what you're going to find is you're going to find some parallels between what we read here in Leviticus and what the benefits that we have of living under the new covenant. And, th and so you're going to see some similarities, and you're going to see some things that are going to match those two things. You're going to see similarities of, of things like uh, provision over our lives. When Jesus talked about provision in the Sermon on the Mount and in other places in the New Testament, he spoke of provision over our lives as something of a given. In other words, he said, well, you see that the flowers of the field, they're beautiful, but they, they don't toil or spin, and yet they're arrayed in beauty. How much more will God provide for you? Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, what he was saying is just look at the fields. Look at the flowers of the field. They're beautiful and they're arrayed in splendor. I mean, how much more is God going to take care of you? And, and he, he talked about uh, the, the idea of how God cares for us. He talked about the idea of how God provides for us and, and how God knows us and he knows the details of our lives. How he knows when a bird falls out of the sky, how much we are worth so many more and so much more than a bird. He knows the number of hairs that are on our head. They're all counted. The details of our life. And the idea that he was expressing to the people there is this idea of God caring, this idea of God being aware of our needs, this idea of God providing for his people. And in the way that it's expressed over and over again, it's not supposed to be a shock that God takes care of us. It's not supposed to be a shock that God provides for us abundantly. It's not supposed to be a shock that, that God has made provision in our lives to not only know us, but to take care of us. That's who he is. That is who he is in all of nature. And that's what Jesus was saying. Nature testifies to that. And so we have a natural testimony all around us all the time of God's intent his purpose, and his in-motion plan to take care of us. And so this verse starts that way. It's a, the, the harvest, that's a given. But then here, here's the part that, that we're majoring on tonight. It wasn't that God's going to take care of us. He's going to take care of us. The real major here that you see coming forth from this is that it's plus God wants to give us a tranquility over our lives to enjoy it. That that the idea of provision, the idea of him taking care of us, the idea of him being concerned, that's not the major news. 
Now, for some of us, it may be, you know, like we've never heard it or we've never been taught that. But in the Bible, that's not the major news. That's just saying God is God. That's just saying God loves his people. That's just saying that God cares about his people. That's just saying that God takes care of his people. That's just saying things that, as, as God's people, should be obvious to us. But what he goes on to say, these are the parts I want to really look at tonight, that he wants to provide a framework so that we can enjoy that. He wants to provide a tranquility over our life so that we can actually live in the provision that God has. We can actually live in the blessing that God has. We can actually live in the richness that God has for us and, and enjoy it. And so the, the blessings of obedience is, is what I want to look at. And there's several that are listed here. And so I just want to go through the list and, and talk about what these things mean. I mean, you can read the list there in Leviticus 26, but there's some deeper meaning in what it's actually saying to us. There's some deeper meaning in, in, in what he's actually bringing forth for us to take hold of. And so as I'm going through this list in Leviticus, I want you to think about Jesus. I want you to think about the New Testament. I want you to think about the Gospels and, and some of the things that Jesus taught, some of the things that Jesus was sharing, some of the things that Jesus modeled. Some of the things that you see more than once in the New Testament, and you see these things coming to pass. It's like, well, did God change his mind? No. Was God willing to care for his people then? Yes. How about now? Sure. Because it's the nature of who he is. If you want to really understand God and his personality, read the Old Testament. You want to get a hold of God's personality? Read the Old Testament. Learn it. Soak it in and, and take the time to do it because he is revealed there as to who he is. And here he is that, that he's he speaking to his people. Leviticus, I mean, who, who sets out to read Leviticus? I mean, seriously? I mean, some of, that, some of Leviticus is pretty dry. But a lot of Leviticus is really interesting and really rich because you know who set out to read Leviticus and quotes from Leviticus in the New Testament? Jesus. He knew it. And there are things in there that God revealed about himself that Jesus was echoing throughout the New Testament. And this is part of that. So I want you to think, when I'm, when I'm going through this list, I want you to think about some places or some things, and, and feel free to flip back and forth to look as to some of the things that Jesus said, some of the things that Jesus revealed, some of the things that Jesus was talking about, how God, how he wants to take care of us, wants to love us, wants to bring us peace and tranquility so we can enjoy our lives. And how that's part and parcel to the gospel that we believe, that we should believe. And so some of the, uh, the blessings of obedience, like I said, is typical of spiritual blessings of the New Testament. And so he, he talked about, the first thing is that there'd be peace around you in, in, in Leviticus. And so part of the, one of the blessings, spiritual blessings of obedience is peace around you and, and that none would make us afraid. You know, that's, that's really a powerful thing living in a culture we live in where everybody's afraid. People live in fear all the time. And that fear is capitalized upon by whatever you know, form of media you choose to look at, listen to, and watch. That, that one of the things that, that they understand is that fear sells. And people want to, to somehow find drama in that. I mean, just look at the way things are reported. You know, it, we're, we're looking at the news, okay? And uh, I was down in Florida when that hurricane was starting to make its way. And as it was starting to make its way, it hadn't got anywhere near the United States yet. And yet you look at all the projections that they had 
Oh, it's going to do this, it's going to do that. And people clamor for that. And so their projection basically was it could hit anywhere. Well, better get ready. And so, you know, a part of Florida that I was in was part of the original projections. And so there I was. This is days before it was. It was way out in the ocean. And people had bought out gas stations. Gas stations were out of gas. Grocery stores were out of, of jugs of water. They were gone. I mean, you couldn't find propane anywhere. All those racks of propane that are outside of stores, gone, empty. Nothing. Hardware store. I went to get, I went to the hardware store to buy some little thing. And I'm standing there, and there's a line 20 deep at the hardware store, people buying batteries and stuff. They, they couldn't keep the shelves stocked fast enough with batteries because people are buying them out. And I know, I'm, you know, I know people want to be re- repaired and everything. I, I kind of get that. But there was nothing solid going on yet. Nothing. And people were just buying stuff out. We live in a culture of fear. And that culture of fear is egged on by the, the, the things and the uh, outlets of influence that are over our culture. And so I, we as a people, and I said this on Sunday, there's no greater counterculture than Jesus. And he was always counterculture. And so if we are going to live differently than the people around us, then and, and we're not going to be able to live in fear. Right? And we're not intended to live in fear. God never intended that for us and for his people, ever. In fact, he goes to lengths to make sure we don't live in fear. Part of his sacrifice and part of what he did and part of the New Covenant, part of the New Testament understanding, part of the Gospel, is that we don't have to live in fear. And so if we're choosing to do that, if we're choosing to fill our hearts and fill our minds and fill our lives with fear, that isn't countercultural. That is going along with whatever is happening right now. Truly countercultural would be to believe Jesus to take care of us. Truly countercultural is to believe that we're in the palm of his hand and no man can snatch us out. Truly countercultural would be to live in tranquility and to live in peace. Part of living in peace is living in peace amongst ourselves. Part of living in peace is, and, and is included in this idea, is the old idea from the Old Testament of the year of Jubilee where it's not, it just doesn't come up every seven years or every 50 years, but the year of Jubilee is a place that we live now, today, where captives are set free, where no one lives in slavery or has to live in slavery, where no one has to live and, and find themselves in bondage. But there's a freedom available right here and right now. And part of that freedom is, is what we're talking about when it says we have nothing to be afraid of. We have no reason to live in fear, but we have peace around us. Jubilee, that, that, that signifies to us the idea of deliverance, and it signifies to us the idea of freedom in a real way. And so whatever it is that, that is, is really infringing on that in our life, we can be free from. Whatever it is, it's imposing itself onto our life, imposing itself onto our spirit, imposing itself onto our heart, onto our mind. We can be free in Jesus' name. That's part of what he's done. People in the New Testament understood that. The apostles understood that. The disciples understood that. The early church understood that. That while the rest of the world may want to live or, or may not be ignorant to the fact and live in some kind of bondage, we don't have to. You don't have to. I don't have to. They don't have to, as a matter of fact. But in the position that we're in, with the understanding that we have, and the relationship that we have with Christ, we shouldn't be living in that kind of bondage. Whether it's to fear or whatever it is. 
You know, I started talking about fear because that's such a powerful one. That anxiety that that is so so big and so oppressive in the culture that we live in. Number of people on medication for anxiety. I mean, it's, it's astounding. We're not intended to carry that in our bodies. And when we do, our bodies break. And if, you, if you're that kind of a person, you kind of understand what I'm talking about. All that does to your immune system, all that does to your, your ability to live a healthy life, all that does to your energy levels, all that does to your productivity, all that does to your, your sleep and your rest and your recovery. I mean, it can be crippling emotionally, spiritually, and physically. We're not made to live like that. And Jesus has made a way so we don't. So even in the Old Testament, even back in Leviticus, God's telling his people, obedience brings peace around you. None shall make you afraid. None. You see, that jubilee I was talking about is an abolishing of slavery to sin, to fear, to the things in our life that are tearing us down. And it establishes a real liberty for us. A true liberty, a true freedom. Not just something you talk about, but something that's real. He goes on and he talks about sleep and the idea of sleep. I mean, we spend approximately, some of us more or less, but about a third of our lives on the average sleeping. A third. Some of us more, some of us less. But... That, that's the time in our life that, you know, we recover. That's how our body recovers. That's how our body heals. That's how things in, in us are, are dealt with. And so we're able to sleep, and that helps us in our mind. It helps us in our body. That helps us in our spirit. Dreams are an important part of who we are as human beings. And that's the time that we experience that. And so you think about how important sleep is for us. Well, God just addresses that here. He says, well, one of the things that you, one of the blessings of obedience is that you, you can sleep. That you can retire without anxiety. You can retire without fear. And, and you can consistently find your rest and consistently find your recovery as you lay your head down and you go to sleep at night. He wants to quiet our hearts and quiet our minds. And that's a part of the blessing, the spiritual blessing that he gives his people. I don't know if you've ever had any trouble sleeping. It's super frustrating. I mean, most people have, you know, at least some experience where They've had trouble with sleep, uh, you know, here or there. And, and some people really, they just, have, they're, they just have trouble sleeping all the time. You know, they deal with insomnia. They deal with uh, all kinds of issues. There's physical issues that can affect your sleep, uh, sleep apnea and other things. And it's just a frustrating thing. But uh, God wants to give us sleep. And I can't tell you the number of people I've prayed over in my life for sleep. People that would come up to me when I was, especially when I used to travel a lot. I'd be in churches, and people would just come up and ask me for prayer for sleep just about every week. Just about. You know, wherever I'd be, say, hey, you know, could you pray for my sleep? I'm having trouble. I just lay awake at night. I can't sleep. Sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I don't have that problem. I don't. You know, I just, I lay down at night and I go to sleep. I got I wear this band. It's called a whoop. And one of the things it measures is sleep. And uh, it tells me what my sleep, what the latency is on my sleep. Like how long I spend in bed versus how long I'm asleep. And most days, and I'd say like 9 out of 10 days, my latency is zero. 
because I lay down and go to sleep. I mean, I, I can't even tell you. It's like, it's such a blessing, all right? And I see it as a blessing, but I've always had that. I mean, I would go to sleep. I'm that, I'm that guy. Like, I sit down in the dentist chair. You know how Lori was saying she's scared to death of the dentist? I could care less about the dentist. They, they have to wake me up so I open my mouth more. Because I just fall asleep. I've fallen asleep so many times in a dentist chair. You know, and I just, whatever. Here, wake me up later. And uh, when I was younger, like, when I was in college especially, because I'd be up late and studying and all that, man, I'd fall asleep anywhere. You know, it was almost like I thought I had narcolepsy for a while. It was that bad. And I may have some kind of a mild form of narcolepsy, but, um, but you know, I mean, I don't fall asleep randomly. I, I, you know, I usually intend to go to sleep. But, uh, but Garrett's like that, too. My son's like that. I was just talking to him about it today. You know, he's like, he's like yeah, we were talking about, um, I did a genetic test a while back, and uh, one of the things they test you for or you can look up from your testing is how you react to caffeine. And I'm a slow metabolizer of caffeine. And so, like, I could, I drink, take caffeine, I could never drink enough caffeine for it to wake me up. So I, you know, it's whatever. And he was like, yeah, that's really weird. I wonder if I got that too. I'm like, I don't know. He's like, yeah, because, you know, I'll be driving back from, uh, he, he's in an orchestra out in Oneonta, the Catskill Orchestra, and he has to drive back late at night after their rehearsals. And so he'll hit a five-hour energy, and he'll be drinking caffeine the whole way back. And he's barely, I mean, it doesn't really keep him awake, but he's trying, you know, so he doesn't fall asleep while he's driving. He's like, yeah, and I get all the way back home. I get into the house, I go into bed, I lay down, and boom, I go to sleep. I'm like, right. <laughs> Absolutely. So he probably is a slow metabolizer, too. You know, it doesn't really. Uh, and the reason they want you to know that is because they, uh, especially in athletic performance, a lot of athletes will use caffeine as a, um, as a uh, stimulant for for better performance, and some athletes don't respond to it, and so they they test them to find out if they're slow or fast metabolizers, so they know whether to even bother with it or not. So, um, I'm the don't bother kind. Doesn't help me, uh, but others are super affected by it, and so uh, it works for them to use to use it. So anyway. Wow, that was a rabbit trail, wasn't it? <laughs> but sleep is a part of our lives that we can't ignore. And so part of the blessing that God has for us is good sleep, is peaceful sleep, is sleep so that we can retire without anxiety. He wants to quiet our spirit so that we can sleep. That's part of that blessing. Another thing that is a blessing of obedience is protection. And the idea behind that word is that we don't have to fear robbers and thieves. But what does that mean, really? Here's how I want you to hear that. Most of us don't live in constant fear of robbers and thieves. You know, we don't live in a place, uh, per se, where that's a huge problem like South Africa. And, I, and I'm not saying that to bust on Chris. I'm just saying that's the truth, that they have real issues with robbery and thievery. And so that's something that is real. That's something that people worry about in their homes. It's something that people worry about when they're walking the street. It's something that is a real issue and a real problem in the country that it comes from. And so we, we don't really live in that. So I, I want you to understand this more as this. You know, we, some people, some of us, we live in constant fear that somebody's going to steal our cheese. What do I mean by that? I mean, steal your what? Steal your job? Yeah. Steal your money somehow, your position, your influence, your power. Steal, what, you know, where you're at at work. Steal your, uh, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife. Steal something. Steal your cheese. And people get worried about that, and they live in fear of that. We don't need to live in fear of that. We just don't. 
And, and that's what he's saying is that we don't have to live in fear of robbers and thieves in our life. And, and there's a blessing that God has for us. There's been things that have been stolen from me over the years. And yet God will bless me and God will restore in my life ten times, a hundred times sometimes, what was stolen and what was taken. To the point, I am so convinced of that now that I don't worry about it. There's a part of me, you know, I hate it when somebody steals from me. There is a part of me, but that has more to do with pride than it has to do with me actually being fearful that I'm not gonna, I'm gonna have to do without. You understand the difference between those two things? I mean, my pride might get hurt because somebody stole from me. Well, that's stupid, all right? And I can recognize that for the stupidity it is. But am I really worried that I'm going to do without because somebody stole from me? No. God's proven over and over again that it's not going to happen that way. He doesn't allow it. It's part of his blessing. It's part of his provision for us. It's part of his protection over our lives that we don't have to worry about that. And there's a powerful peace that comes along with that. He says that we'll have peace with our neighbors. And, and there's a scripture in there about peace with our neighbors where it talks about how the sword will not pass through the land. All right? And, and that's a descriptor of two things, the sword not passing through the land. Here's the two things that's a descriptor of. Number one, that we're not going to be the ones that are going to be taken by the sword. That's number one. Number two, we're not going to be in the way of somebody else getting taken by the sword either. God's going to protect us. And that's powerful to me because sometimes it's not us, but we're kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. You ever know what I'm saying by that? He said, don't worry about it. The sword won't pass through your land. Don't worry. And that he would take care of us in that. He would protect us from that. He would look out for us. That. And he would give us peace with our neighbors. It is. It is. See, in particular, at the time, there, there would come times in Israel's uh, future where they would need to know that because there would be kingdoms say Egypt that would be going to conquer another land but they would come up through Israel and Israel would suffer because the Egyptian army came up and through and and so what God was saying is that don't worry about that, that even though you're not the target don't worry that about the wrong place wrong time you know, so what does that speak to us? Now think about that too. What would that speak to us about? You know, a lot of missions. Right. Right. Well, those things follow us where we go. They follow us where we go. Upheaval, political, upheaval follows us. Natural disasters follow us. And, and I, I've never really documented that, but I can't tell you the number of times where that's happened. And, and God just, he cares us even in the midst of those things even in the midst of of upheaval we i mean we were in uh, niger uh, and and there was a whole thing going on with gaddafi and gaddafi's family and the, the the town that we were in and gaddafi had built an airport even though it was in niger not libya but he had built an airport there so he could fly his family there and, and there were all these things that were going on. I mean, world leaders were converging on this little town in the middle of nowhere because of Gaddafi and because of his family. I mean, there we were, right in the middle of it. Why? Why? I mean, you couldn't even get there. I mean, it was 16 hours on a bus through the desert. 
from the capital C. 16 hours. 16 hours on a non-air-conditioned bus. They had the front door open on the bus and just sand pouring in through the front door of the bus for 16 hours. Yeah. No road. I mean, you look outside, there's no road. How's that guy know where to go? And every now and then you'd see a bus on its side because somebody got off the non-road. There was the hardened, packed sand. They got off of it and they caught tires and the bus turned over. It's the middle of nowhere. We're in the middle of nowhere and you got the, the guy that I'm dealing with who took our passports and I'm yelling at him to call him a bad man in French to give me back my passport. <laughs> that guy is on the Nash international news dealing with Hillary Clinton. That guy. How do we end up there? All right. And so peace. So peace with our neighbors. The sword won't pass through our land. I like that. I count on that. I count on that. Yeah. Okay, the next thing is he says that part of the blessing, spiritual blessing of obedience is dominance over our enemies. Dominance over our enemies. I know that we live in a time and era that people are sometimes shocked by certain language. Don't be shocked. Uh, the Bible talks about us having a, a dominance over our enemies. Now we have spiritual enemies. Don't, don't be mistaken. We have real spiritual enemies in our lives. And we're called to and given the opportunity to and provision has been made for us to dominate our enemies. What does that mean? That means the courage to pursue, overtake, and destroy. Okay, We are not called to live on the defensive. Uh, there's a book that Every now and then, it seasonally gets passed around. It's a book called Run to the Battle by Robert Slairdon, I believe. And in that book, he lays down the case biblically that God doesn't call his people to live defensively. But he calls his people to run at it, to go at it, to take up courage to pursue, overtake, and destroy. Now, how does that contrast with what you think? All right, in the real world, how that looks is this. And I've had this conversation with people before. Uh, anybody ever, did anybody see the movie about the uh, military guys that was on the, the French train when the terrorists tried to overtake that train? I don't know if you ever saw that movie. Yeah. Well, there were a couple military guys, a few military guys from the U.S. that were on that train. And these guys, you know, they pulled their guns out and they, uh, they were going to take over the, the train. Well, one of the military guys immediately ran at the guy, one of the guys that had the gun. And the guy pointed the gun at him to shoot him, pulled the trigger, and the gun clicked. It didn't, it didn't shoot. It jammed. And so he ended up running right into the guy, knocking him down, and they were able to save the people on the train. But what a contrast that is to what the government tries to tell us we're supposed to do. Now, this is kind of funny because the same government that tells us to do that is the same government that trained that guy to run to the gunfire. All right? Same, same government. You know, you think about 9-11... I mean, how do terrorists take over airplanes full of people with box cutters? How is that possible? How is that possible? That we're going to crash these planes. We're going to kill all of you with the threat of what? A laceration on your arm? Seriously? But we, we were taught, everybody on those planes were taught, just sit down, relax, 
We'll take care of it. Who's going to take care of it? Nobody. You know, those people on the last plane that forced it down in Pennsylvania, they got up. They, they realized these, these guys were just going to crash the plane. They got up and they took it over. Finally, somebody got up and took it over. Instead of just sitting back, I'm not going to do anything. Don't hurt me. Okay, we'll just crash you and, and kill you through an explosion. You following what I'm saying? So what's going to have to happen with us is a retraining, and, I, and, and if I sound mean, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be mean, is a retraining of the way that we think. And that is that we are not going to sit back and let the enemy destroy us. Stop it. Stop it. And what we're called to do is rise up in courage. Courage is a good word. Courage is a good thing in our lives. Courage is not reserved for whatever that guy is over there or those people over there. Courage is something God calls us to as individuals in the kingdom of God. Courage. Going to rise up in courage to pursue, to overtake, and destroy our enemies. Like Conan the Barbarian. Or whoever you want to put in there. <laughs> the lamentation of the women. Yeah, you know. Whatever he says there at the beginning of that movie. Freaking awesome. <laughs> and so how is it described in these verses? Well, look at, look at what it says. Like five will chase a hundred. Notice the word there. What's the word? Five will do what? chase a hundred that means they've risen up in courage they're pursuing why would they pursue them to overtake them why would they overtake them to destroy them so five will chase a hundred a hundred will chase ten thousand and so the idea behind that, and you can find other things, I'm not going to turn to these, but Deuteronomy 32.30, Joshua 23.10, Isaiah 30.17, all of those verses have a variation of that proverb in them. And it's always, and this is the idea behind it, the idea behind it is a small number is overtaking a big number. That's the idea. So whether the number is 5, 10, 20, 30, 50, and the other number is 100 or 500 or 10,000 or 1,000, whatever it is, it's a small number that is rising up in courage, chasing it down, overcoming it, and destroying a much larger enemy. I've learned a lot of things over the years I've been alive. One of the things is this. The aggressor, the aggressor is going to win most fights. All right? Just the way it is. And I've been in a couple fights, I guess. But that was a long time ago and no time recently. <laughs> so I barely remember. But from what I remember, <laughs> from what I remember in the movies, no, in real life, God wants to give us a life of authority, ever-increasing. And so that authority for us is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing, but it goes from small to large. Like those numbers, right? Those numbers went from small to large. Well, he wants to give us authority. I mean, how... What, what does Jesus have to say? I give you authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions over every work of the enemy, every work of the devil? Yeah. Why did he say that? Because he didn't mean it, right? He didn't mean it. We're supposed to hide from the devil and hope he doesn't come our way. Is that what he said? No. No, he said he'd give us authority to trample upon snakes and scorpions, to trample upon them. Does that mean trip over them? No. Does that mean accidentally step on one? Ooh, sorry. Sorry. No. No, we're going to trample on them. 
That means you see one, go stomp it. Because I don't know, you ever be around, you're around scorpions? I've had scorpion. I had a scorpion on me last year. Maybe earlier this year. I don't know. I had one on my hand when I was working. And, you know, I was able to, to kill it. But I wasn't waiting around for it. All right. Oh, Mr. Scorpion, don't sting me. I'm not going to move for the next 10 hours. No, I smashed it. You know, when I was a kid, I had a scorpion on my back. My mom just, just flattened it right on my back. <laughs> what, are we waiting around for the sting? Snakes? Why are we waiting around for the snake? No. No. Take care of that. Take care of it. Trample. Aggressively. Aggressively. Courage to pursue, overtake, and destroy. Allow, allow God to give you that kind of courage. Allow God to begin to, from small to large, increase your authority spiritually. Allow him to do it. Because I, I tell you, if we, if we walk in the spiritual authority that we're capable of, there's some powerful things that are going to happen in our lives. When we stop living on the defensive all the time, there's some powerful things that can happen in our life. When we become more aggressive against the work of the enemy that's going on in us, there's some powerful things that can be released in us, that will be released in us. But somehow, some way, our thinking is going to need to change. Especially the generations that have been raised up that have been taught just to take it. Well, I'm not going to take it. I wasn't taught to take it. When I, was a, when I was a kid, we weren't taught to take it. We were taught to stand up. We were taught to, to, to be a people that don't just take it on the chin all the time. Now, I'm talking spiritually here, but I want you to understand that that in the physical realm, if you, your whole life, if that's all you've ever done, how's it going to change spiritually for you? If all you've ever done is just, just get rolled over all the time in your life, how is that going to change spiritually? Really? Something has to change in your mind and something has to change in your heart to see this change in your spiritual life. It's got to happen. It just has to. Or you're not going to really fully enter into what God has. One of the blessings of our obedience is an ever-increasing authority. You know, he goes on in these verses and he talks about how he's going to destroy beasts of prey that endanger life in the, in the land. Nothing wrong with that. You know what the... And I know people disagree with me here, but you know what the dumbest things I've heard over the last few years? Reintroducing wolves into areas where people live. What? We killed wolves for a reason. All right? We destroyed wolves for a reason. And the Bible talks about here, he says that God himself would destroy beasts of prey that are endangering the lives of the people of the land. I got no problem with that. No problem. Zero. So, let's look up a few verses, and we'll end here. Okay, Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Need somebody to read that. Romans 8.19, somebody could read that. Colossians 1.12, and 1 Peter 1.4. Acts 3.19 and 20, anybody have that? All right. Now, that, those verses there, there's a few things that happen. 
in those verses. One, he talks about changing the way that you're going. Right? Repent. Isn't that what that word means? Change directions. But then why do you want to change directions? What would that obedience produce in your life? What does it say in those verses? That what? That times of refreshing may come. Yeah. There's a blessing to obedience. Okay. Romans 8.19. Who's that? Right. 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 All of creation. And, and this is something that, that uh, I try to emphasize, at least at one part in the internship. And this is this idea that everything that we see has been made. And, and that we are the salt of the earth. We preserve it. And so we are intimately connected <coughs> to all that God has made. We're intimately connected to all of creation. And not only are we connected to it like as a, a weird part of it, but it all exists because we're here. You know, we, we've got it backwards in the way that we want to think about it or the way, the way the world wants us to think about it. The world wants us to think about it's like the world is here and we're just a little part of it, so we just got to do our part not to hurt it. The reality of that is, is that the reason the whole world exists is because of us. And that the reality of it is, is that as God's people, we're the salt of the earth. We're preserving it by us being here. Because without us here, there's no reason for it. In fact, the Bible talks about that there'll come a time where there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. Why? Because what we do here is done. And so he'll just make a new heaven and a new earth, and then we're going to dwell there. And so I don't argue with anybody about this because this is theological. I don't argue with anybody about this because this is just something that is scriptural and it's something that's spiritual. But we need to understand it because it's part of our heritage and it's part of who we are. And so we look at the world, and, and the Bible verse there says all of creation groans in anticipation. Why? Well, because we're intimately connected with it. And so our revealing, God revealing us as his sons is an important part of what the world is waiting for, what the earth is waiting for, why it was created, and what we're doing here. And we need to come forth into that light. And live the lives that God has for us. That's what the whole world's waiting for. The whole earth, that the physical earth is waiting for us to come out and be revealed. How about uh, Colossians 1.12? Excellent. You've been qualified. <laughs> That's good. So, so what do you got to do to be qualified? Uh, Nothing. <laughs> he qualified you. All right. So you've been qualified to share in the kingdom. Now, so the qualification isn't the issue. Qualification is not the issue here. There's other issues here, but the qualification isn't it. Obedience is an issue. That's a big issue. But the qualification is not. Okay, last verse, Roman or excuse me, first Peter one four. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Alright. So the idea is is that and we need to always have this in mind, that there is something eternal about our lives and because there's something eternal about our lives it behooves us not to be caught up in the minutia of daily crap because it's so easy to get caught up in the little things of life so easy but we got some bigger fish to fry than that 
and part of God's provision over us and part of God's purposes for our life is to live bigger than that. So I hope as I was going through some of those blessings, and I tried to bring in a few things from the New Testament, but I hope that began to click for you a little bit about how this directly is associated with the teachings of Jesus. Directly. And how these positive benefits of obedience transfers into our life right here and now. That you live, and, and you know, this is a... <laughs> whole generation of people that talk about living their best life. Well, you live your best life in the will of God. You live your best life in his purposes and plans for you. You live your best life in the, the, the absolute, absolute trust and obedience in, in the word that Jesus has put over you. That's the best place. It really is. And so I want to encourage you toward that. And there's lots of reasons to get there. I went over a few of them here, but there's lots of reasons to get there. And uh, so I want to encourage you toward it. Let's just take a moment to pray, and I just want you to respond. Uh, and we'll just take a minute to do that. I'm a little bit over time right now, but uh, let's just take a minute to respond. Just while we're sitting here, this is the best time to do it. Something's fresh. You might have taken a portion of something I said. And, and that's what hit you, then respond to that. There might have been a, an idea that I shared that really struck something in you, reminds you of something, respond to that. You might have been challenged, uh, respond to it. Heavenly Father, thanks for uh, meeting here tonight, and I thank you for your word. God, there's some things that were said tonight maybe were weird to some of us, different, strange. <coughs> God, I pray that your truth would be ministered to hearts, uh, whatever that truth would be for uh, us to receive tonight. God, different people, different places, different times. But God, I pray your truth would uh, just really speak and really begin to change hearts and minds and, and to really stick in the spirit uh, of men and women tonight. Thanks. Thanks, God. Let's ask you, Father, that uh, we would be recipients of truth. God, our minds would change. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So right where you are, just respond. Just, to, just give you a moment here. Say what you need to say. Do what you need to do. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. God, I, it might be a courage that you're really going to pray for. God, give me courage. Yeah. Pour out your courage tonight, God. And I pray that you encourage, that you would pour in courage into hearts and minds tonight. Yeah, to pursue and overtake, to overcome and destroy enemies tonight. A new courage not to live defensively. Maybe you, you live in anxiety. God will set you free of that fear. God will give you peace. Rest. If you have trouble sleeping, God wants to give you a sweet sleep tonight. Receive it in Jesus' name. Receive a, a rest to your spirit in Jesus' name. Receive a peace to your heart and your mind in Jesus' name. A freedom and liberty from fear, real liberty, real freedom from fear in Jesus' name. Thanks, Lord. Fear of somebody taking something that's yours. Be free. Don't have to be that way. Don't have to feel that. Don't have to live in that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. The sword not passing through your land. Receive that protection in Jesus' name. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So, God, tonight we thank you for uh, just the blessings that you want to pour out on us, the spiritual blessings of, of simply hearing and doing, the spiritual blessings of simply taking hold of your will and your purpose and your plan for our lives and living it. 
God, that is our best life. And so I pray that we would devote ourselves to it, to you, to what you have for us. We give you thanks tonight. We praise your name. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.